it gives a lot of energy to really see that you know it's not always easy and failure is part of winning and succeeding welcome to the what is ux podcast the show where we interview design leaders about their journey and experience so that you may learn from them i'm your host peck pompat Hello, everyone. On this episode of What is UX, we have Mima HK, the design director at First Republic. And he's got some agency experience as well, similar to me at times like places like Critical Mass, as well as a award-winning designer receiving the Canadian Marketing Association Silver Digital and Tech Award for his work. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Beck. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're very welcome. So on this episode, we're going to cover topics from learning from people we admire, how to how to go about that, uh, building teams. So if you're starting to build teams for your design org, this would be a great episode for you, as well as some personal struggles around, you know, whether you should specialize or be a generalist, uh, as mm-hmm. well as the great debate of part-time versus full-time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all-time great. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, talk to us a bit about kind of how you go about learning and especially learning from mentors and then you yourself are an ADP mentor and this is how we cross paths. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we were talking about this that, you know, I definitely started doing that during the pandemic mostly. I really wanted to kind of connect with people and be helpful to the designers, upcoming designers or people who are transitioning to 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 design. And it's amazing to see that a lot of topics keep repeating and it's really interesting to see that I've spoken to a lot of designers around the world and most of them kind of, I don't want to say struggle, but most of them have the same kind of questions or the same ways that they present themselves. And, and it's really interesting to, to see that pattern. And, and I'm just a really curious person to really understand how these patterns are formed, how we actually develop these things and how can we actually redirect these to a, to a, to a point where it's effective for them to learn, to, to be the best versions of themselves. And so something that always comes up is you know, where do you get your inspiration from? And for me, especially is I call them the masters, you know, these are the, the people that I admire and not necessarily because of what they've accomplished, but I admire them because of the process. So there are people that I really like and I follow and, and that's mostly because I just follow their journey and I know where they started. I know what they've been through and I know where they are today. And that gives hope, right? It gives a lot of energy to really see that, you know, it's not always easy and failure is part of winning and succeeding. You can't always be doing the right thing all the time without knowing, <laughs> without failing, without messing it up sometimes, you know, and, and there's a lot of great people that, that followed their passion for years and years. And, and there were people against them. There were people said, oh, you can't do this. There's all these bigger companies that are going to do this. And but they ended up doing it. And I mean, I think a great example is Sarah Blakely. I really admire her her journey from Spanx. She was a founder of Spanx. She was a fax machine salesperson door to door. And she had this passion of like just doing something else. And, and she's been working on it. She, I mean, she worked on it for like two years. This is just herself explaining that, that she used to lock herself in, not even barely talk to anyone about what she's working on and build these things. And she would get rejection letters after rejection letters from different people. And there were people who were saying, you know, there are these big companies that are, that are already doing this, you know, and, and you're just, you're, you're nobody. Why are you, you know, why should I, why should anybody give you a chance? And, 
but she was determined, you know, and, and she did a lot of work to, to really make that happen for herself. She, she made it all, a lot of personal connections. So she realized that she needed to improve her, her presentation skills and connecting with people. So she took courses and improv and she really kind of pushed herself and she really kind of learned that it's okay to mess up. It's okay to yell something stupid in front of everyone and, and, and don't look that great, you know, and, and everything's okay. So, and then I think, I think another thing that she did was when she actually had her company, she made that like some sort of like a mandatory thing for the leadership team where they all kind of sat down and they all did a, like a whole event and everybody had to do it. So just kind of pushing people out of their comfort zone and pushing herself and actually really getting something done. I really appreciate that type of, you know, that type of leadership because it really pushes you. It really pushes you to know that just because you haven't done something before doesn't mean that, you, you know, you shouldn't be doing it or you won't be good at it. So there's a lot of people that I follow that I really, really like. I can How? give you more example. How do you find these people? Like, you know, just in like Sarah Blakely, I, I happen to know who you're talking about. And I, I as well admire her grit and tenacity in, in, in her journey of building Spanx. But how do you discover these people? That's exactly what I want to talk about, actually. The, discovering these people is, could be easy once you kind of follow your passion. So I I was following courses on leadership and leadership skills, and I realized that she was one of the top ones. And then because of the just, just these things that I described and the rest of these things is I just follow things that I really like. You know, like I like TV. I like, you know, and and I think this is what I want to talk about that you can just follow your passion and something that you like like let's say you like you like fashion for example and you can go and find out really kind of dive deep into a certain person's story and really understand like i don't know there's like tv for example that you like like i like south park you know but mostly because of the process mostly because of trey parker and matt stone and they're, they're, what they did to, to get started you know they, they created this like viral video before youtube even existed you know and <laughs> and they stayed up all day and night for weeks you know cutting up things and putting things together just because they had this vision and they wanted to do something you know and they just kept at it they kept doing is that it. how south park start, started they started with yeah, the viral that's right. video there's a, yeah there's a there's a i think it's called spirit of christmas and i think it's on youtube so you can see it it's it's the four kids that are running around with with santa or something and it's just so crude and it's so funny and and it became this video that everybody used to videotape and send to each other like it would used to be on vhs and people would just be like oh my god you have to see this thing you know and i think it's just that process you know it's like them from being two students who just kind of meet each other and they, they create something and they just keep at it and they get all these failed attempts at actually making this big show and but they just continue doing it. You know, they find that they need to stay on path. They need to stay, you know, on this journey that they they want to see. And they don't know where it's going to go, but they know that there is a path. They know that they decided something and they know that they, they should just keep going. And and I promise you, in every every industry that you're interested in, there is always people who did that. There's always people who didn't know where this was going to go. You can talk about Elon Musk. He did so many of these things just 
kind of winging it, just be like, all right, let's do this. All right, I'm going to put all my money into SpaceX. Let's see what happens. This is the last SpaceX that I could go out, you know, and if, if this fails, I have to shut down. I'm going to be out of money. My, my personal money, he put like, I think, $100 million or something to really make that happen. But not knowing what will happen, right? But knowing that there is this thing that you decided to do and you just got to keep going. And there's always these people that really inspire me because they don't, you know, I can't stop otherwise because I know that if I stop, then I'm not really kind of following their path, right? So I got to keep going too. I think it's the good takeaway is, you know, to finding these people is following your passion, but also, you know, within your passion, who who is an accomplished person you know, kind of in that field and then really digging into what they did and their story. And then there's lots. Another, I guess, famous entrepreneur, I'm, I'm missed trying to, to struggling to remember who said it, but they said, yeah, just look at what they steps they took and learn from that and, re, you know, try to replicate that. You don't have to be original. Like, yeah, your product can be original, but you don't have to like reinvent the process on how they use, you know, like, like, just Sarah Blakely, just another data point. It was like in, in that story is like, she said she was a door to door salesman. I feel like this is not the first time I've heard of a door to door salesman be successful. And maybe anecdotally is like, they're probably get used to getting their, you know, face slammed into the door and lots yeah. of rejection and nothing, you know, and they're just used to that versus yeah. i think you know like my personality I, I can't take much rejection so i would be a horrible door-to-door -door salesman yeah yeah it's true it's true i i think you're right and i think for every type of business that everybody's trying to do there is there are basic rules and principles of running a business and somewhere in the world somewhat somehow somebody has gone through these problems and they found a way to get out of it and, and i think there's a lot that we can learn from other people's journeys and stories that that we could somehow connect to what we're doing. Yeah. Well, moving on to the next topic, which is something that I think is very selfishly near and dear to me is building teams, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and then, you know, diving in design teams specifically, you, you build teams at several companies. Talk to me, you know, give us some of the downloads and learnings and advice on, on building great yeah. teams. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, I've, I've been on every side of these teams, by the way. I've worked at a lot of agencies and a lot of companies. I did a lot of contract work that allowed me to see what it feels like to be in different types of environments and different types of working schedules, as well as just behaviors and culture and everything that, that surrounded it. And I just knew what I liked. I liked it when I felt respected. I liked it when People didn't push me and they realized that I need, you know, a little bit of space to figure out this design solution, or they realized that I'm the type of person who kind of reach out to you when I say I need something, you know, so people who kind of were in tune with me and kind of worked with my energy. I think those were the type of times that I, I those are the times that I actually really worked much better because I just kept pushing and I, and, and I wasn't really worried about asking for help or, or really having to deliver something by a certain hour. And, you know, and I think I tried to build teams that way as well, where, where I develop trust and, and I want to make sure that people feel like we care for each other, you know, and, and I'm mostly interested about the outcome of meeting or, or anything that we do rather than output. And I think that that's a really important thing that 
I've seen a lot of leaders aren't really paying a lot of attention to people kind of, especially nowadays with the remote work and hybrid work remote, just all this model of like not really being in the same room with people, not being able to walk up to people and, and kind of getting a feel of how everything is going. We need to pay more attention to this and really make sure that, you know, there, there are certain things that we could do to kind of combat these things. And few things that I do first, like for example, and I think that we can all kind of pay attention to is like never canceling one-on-ones, making sure that there's always this intact moment, intact time dedicated for this person that you're working with, that they can always kind of talk to you and you can always talk to them. And it's a very safe space. You know, there's no judgment and you want to create this develop, you want to develop this space where they could actually feel comfortable to tell you, hey, you know, you you promoted me to this role and I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. I need support, you know, as opposed to somebody who feels terrified to talk to you about that, to say, oh my God, I'm promoted. And <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm qualified, but I better not say anything. And, and I better just kind of fake my way out of this until I figure something out. And I think that's a real thing and it's happening and I've seen it. And, and I know when people feel comfortable to reach out and say, hey, can I talk to you? I need a little bit of support here. And and creating an environment where people feel like they can easily do that. And trusting your team to to be able to, to like so so the, they manage their own time. So you know, so you don't have to really manage their time. You manage whether they need you or they need anything to get their job done. So essentially what I do is I make sure that they feel supported and they have everything that they need so they can be the best versions of themselves, you know, and they can really explore as much as they need and they can do what they have to do best with having everything that they need. And other things that that I always do is making sure that credit is given the right time to the right people. It's I never want to minimize anybody's contribution to to something and and it needs to be uh, they need to feel empowered they need to know that they are doing this this for the team and we're all in it together last but not least really just be genuine be really yourself be really interested in how they're doing if you have one-on-ones then you know you're kind of chatting with someone else on the side as you're talking to them or something that's not really real right so and i'm not saying that people do that but just as an example to kind of illustrate what i'm trying to say in terms of really being there for the people at the right time at the right way and kind of supporting them so they can deliver what they need to deliver and again all the stuff i'm sure everybody knows about it but it's just I've, from my experience, I've seen it that it's not easy for, for a lot of leaders to actually kind of follow through with this type of thinking all the time. Yeah, it, it's one of the things that once spoken seems obvious, but, you know, if you're an IC and all you've ever been was an IC and all of a sudden you're promoted to a manager and it's, the role is different and you now it's your, you have people under you that you have to create time and space for it's not about your work it's about their work it's about you supporting their work so that they can be successful i hear you know kind of like having making sure you have that one-on-one time is really important having making sure that it's a safe environment for them to talk and what are they struggling with so that you can find ways to support them like I would say, you know, it sounds very familiar. Like the, I wouldn't say I'm a great manager or leader in, in any sense. I'm just kind of doing, you know, I was never taught any of this. And I never, I've always at corporate, I've always been in an IC role. So I never 
had like a manager or director program. So it's, but uh, what, you know, what I'm hearing you say, you know, in terms of how you felt you know, as, as someone who appreciated a good, good manager, like, Hey, someone who listened, someone who supported you, someone who gave you space, you know, those things I had to learn. I want to thank my chief HR person, Christina Wang. She's introduced me to like a lot of these concepts that, that you mentioned, as well as like, you know, other things like different people respond to different things. You know, I think from my business coach, from therapists, from, from even my, from Christina, I think, uh, you know, like if you've heard of the book, uh, the five love languages, have you heard of that book? Oh yeah. I've read it. Yep. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's really, I think the target audience is really for couples, but really you can extrapolate it to just general people relationships, right? right? Like, absolutely. you know, Nima might be my director and, you know, if he's showering me with praise, but that's not my love language. And I really prefer acts of service, like then he's missing the mark, for example. So like really understanding, I recently kind of have started introducing people to that concept and, and asking them what is like, Hey, this is a weird question, but (laughs) like, what, what do you respond to? What do you, you know, is it, you know, words, you know, acts of kindness, you know, is Mm -hmm. it words? Is it, what, what is it, you know? Is it gifts? Yeah, but you, you know? so that that same approach that you're talking about about asking that question and being genuinely interested to know that, right? Yeah, and that's the start of this whole thing, right? Like right. for leaders to think that way, you know, to exactly when you start working with someone to say, "All right, let's figure this out before we actually start working together." You know, yeah, or actually, let's keep an eye on it while we while we're getting started because right. Leadership is a lifestyle, right? And this lifestyle that starts from the leader leader level definitely affects everyone else all the way to the other end, right? So for sure, it needs to start from there. Yeah, and then I would say another layer that you know I, I wasn't exposed to before becoming a leader was like trying to understand even personality wise, like uh, you know that's why they HR has like these assessment. Yeah, you know, it's like some people are very direct. Some people are indirect. Some people are very societal. They, they need, you know, kind of they're, they're waiting for consensus. Some people are, con- you know, more conscientious. So, so those are things you have to understand who you're working with. Like, you know, the, I think in, in work, you know, like, so what is that saying? Really in general, right? Like the loudest, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, the, this. Right. So the loudest person in the room will get what they want. And, but sometimes you have to listen, keep, you know, kind of understand that, oh, this person's quieter. You have to kind of pull it out of them and understand the difference because people are not the same. Yeah. And pulling it out of them sometimes means just staying quiet and actually really listening and just giving that room that five second pause that it needs. So someone finally says, all right, now (laughs) I'm not an extrovert, but now it's my turn to actually say something, you know. Yeah. So thank you. We're listening to this and we have a mental image of Nima. He's, you know, super successful designer, you know, at various firms, but no, not everyone, most people are with not without their struggles. And I'd love to talk to you, you know, kind of ask you about your struggles in your career. And, and you mentioned like this around whether or not to specialize and, and kind of the pros and cons and what you've learned. Yeah, it's true. That definitely was, if I want to think about my design career, definitely was a a struggle at some point because 
I had just graduated from my design program and, uh, you know, and, and I needed to find something. I needed to find a space for myself. I needed to do something. And I was focusing on everything. I had print stuff. I had branding. I had, you know, interaction design. I had UI UX stuff. I had some, everything you can think of. And you would go to my portfolio and you would see all kinds of things. And then at some point I had to find a way to create two or three different portfolios because this, this job that I'm applying to, they don't care about print, for example. And I had to find another thing. And I just found that I'm just maybe really making things very complicated for myself. And I think there was one time that I had a really good interview with someone at an agency and the design agency. And they really liked my work and the entire meeting went really well. And I thought that, okay, perfect. I got this job. Like it was very promising. And then she said, yeah, sorry, I don't think I can hire you. And I said, well, hey, can you please just spend five minutes and just kind of give me some feedback? Like, tell me what I'm doing wrong. She said, listen, I can fire, I can hire you, but I don't know if you'll be bored uh, once I not give you design stuff to do, once I not give you branding stuff to do. You, you, you seem to be focused on so many things. And, and I don't, that, I don't, I don't know if I have that type of work for you to, to keep you motivated every day. So to me, I'm worried that I can't find your motivation. And, and if I, what if I give you all UI UX stuff for the next year, will you be bored? What will happen then? And honestly, up until that moment, I have never thought about that. I never even realized that that could be something that could happen because, you know, you're young, you're a designer, you just want to get in there and you think, yeah, whatever, throw anything at me and I can do it, you know? And that made me think, that made me really think. And I sat back down, I looked at everything that I had done and I actually decided to pay a lot of attention to typography and and UI and UX. And, uh, and that's, this is some time ago this is around 2010 when i graduated and i have definitely paid attention to that since then and that's why i ended up being a product designer and that that includes a lot of ui and ux work and i had this passion for typography and color and all that as well that i kind of included in that and then and recently i, I read this book in experience required by robert hochman and he literally talks about this part when he says there's a section in there that he says become a T-shape person. And the way he describes it is the horizontal top line of the letter T is this kind of the breadth of knowledge in which you have reasonable understanding. So design obviously has like research, typography, anything else that kind of falls within that. And it's good for you to know most of those things because it definitely helps you. But he also talks about the upright center line in the letter T that that is you specializing in something, you know, paying a lot of attention to that one thing, you know, that has significant depth. And that makes you uh, this person that people will know. They say, oh, okay, <laughs> I know I can, I can hire this person because this is exactly what we need right now. This project is lacking X right now. And this person is specializes in X. So let's, let's bring them in, you know, and that's something that, that just makes you unbeatable it's like you become really good at this one thing and it doesn't have to be one thing you can be very good at so many things you know which a lot of people try to but you know design has changed so much and as you know like maybe 10 15 years ago you know product design 
the role didn't exist, right? UI, UX didn't really exist. People were either graphic designers or interaction designers. And, but now we're just kind of like zooming in, you know, narrowing down into these little areas and really need these specialized roles for these sections and these areas that really need help. So I think paying attention to that was super, super helpful to me because I could be this broad designer that did all these things and every once in a while just jump around from this project to the next project, but not really kind of getting really good at something. But I've tried to, I've tried to change things up since then. <laughs> it's been good. I used to have a blog called Jack of all trades because I was a jack of all trades. I, you know, I did a lot of everything, you know, I did some Photoshop graphic design and right? flash, you know, I'm dating myself here, you know, a little jQuery JavaScript, you know, web development, whatever. Um, the flash was cool. Just so you know. Yeah, yeah. For, for those people who were born after Flash. But uh, to your point, you know, I many years ago, I interviewed at Airbnb. And at the time, I was both a designer and an engineer. Like, they're like, okay, I can come up with the idea. I can design it. And I'll, I can build what I design. Great. And they had a really hard time slotting me in. So it's like, are you are you a designer or are you an engineer? You know, like the recruiting yeah. guy, we, we ended up actually being friends and calling up. I didn't, you know, get any offers because again, it'd be, you know, listening to you, you say it, it's like, it becomes a concern for the employers. Like, can I keep you engaged? The, my, the risk is like, are you going to be bored if you, you know, you're doing so many things. If I give you just this one thing, are you going to be bored? Yeah. And that's like, are you, you know, because I'm doing this analysis of I'd like to, when I hire you, I want to keep you as, you know, employed for as long as it's possible. But if you're going to be bored and leave, that's, I'd rather just pick someone who, Hey, I have a, this need and that person loves doing this exact thing or, yeah. and is good at this exact thing. Right. Of course. Yeah. And, and you're right. Absolutely. Because teams, you know, that's definitely something to, 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 to think about as you're trying to hire someone, because, you have to know that you have the right tools and the right people to help these people when you hire them, because you, you, can you help them grow? Can you help them? Can you give them what they need so they stay with you for long term? You know, because and and if you can't really identify, if you don't know what they need to grow and they need so many things because they're involved in so many different areas, you're like, okay, well, how am I going to do that? It's, it's yeah. impossible to keep track of it. So I think people in that stage where they still want to have done a lot of things, you know, like played with a lot of technologies or, or tools or areas. I think, I think one advice we both have here is like, really think about what you want to do, what you love and try to at least project to the world. You can still have your hobbies and play, you know, I'm playing around with little new technologies, whatever, AI, mm -hmm. I'm not claiming to be an AI expert, but I, you know, in the evenings, I, I, you know, I play one in my, you know, basement, <laughs> but, but that's not <laughs> what not I, podcasting. <laughs> right, when I'm not podcasting, right. But I, but it can be scary, right. To say no to a lot of things when you can do them, right. Like this is the agency struggle, right. Like, oh, can we, we can, we're turning away business, but I think somebody told me a really good analogy in like, I think it was really tough to kind of niche down, but somebody told me a good story of like, no, like if you go to a restaurant and their menu is like, we have Chinese food, we have sushi, we have steak, we have hot dogs. We have like, you look at yeah. that and like, would you ever go to that restaurant? Or do you want to? <laughs> I've been you, to those restaurants, by the way, when there's right. 
400 items in the menu and it's just unbelievable. Right. And are they good at any one thing, right? Or do you think about, hey, when I want sushi, do you go to that restaurant or do you go to a sushi restaurant? When you, yeah. when you want steak, do you go to a True. steakhouse? So I think eventually you you have to pick. And it can be an intersection, right? It can't just doesn't have to be that one thing. It can be. No, it doesn't. Yeah, of course. In yeah. fact, and sometimes also, when it's an intersection, it makes it more special. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's definitely possible to be more than one or two or three things for sure to, yeah. to really stay focused on. But as you said, it's it's a tough, tough decision because as a young designer, I remember I it was hard for me because I loved print. You know, I still love print. I still, every once in a while, like just design something, print it out, print it out and like kind of put it together and make a little booklet or something. I, I like those things, you know, but I had to make a pick. And I understand yeah. that maybe not everyone has that ability to make that pick just yet, you know, and maybe this could segue into working full-time or part-time because I think that's definitely something that that helps you decide what you're good at or what you really want to focus on. Can we, can we move to that, you think? Yeah, yeah. And then I'll, I'll just add one more thought is, you know, another, if one way to think about it, this is something that I'm not, you know, if I could predict the market, I'd be a lot richer. But one thing that I did write during, in my career was when I, I was a Flash developer. So you, we were talking about Flash and Flash was a cool yeah. technology at one point, you know, a lot of websites were done in Flash. But mm-hmm. when the With iPhone intros and all that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, animated intro, skip intro was probably the <laughs> most famous, you know, most used button. But when the iPhone came out and they decided not to support Flash, I leaned into. I, I couldn't have predicted, but I thought, okay, crap. This is if the iPhones, you know, people love the iPhone. It's going to be popular, and it doesn't support Flash. Like, what am I doing? So I, I was at a I was a consult at a consulting firm. So I told my team, you know, my bosses, I managed like, take me off of Flash projects. I I, I want to do HTML5 from now on. Like I think I think Flash is dead. My prediction is because the iPhone's not going to support it. Yeah, I'm just going to make a bet that the trend is you know. So I think being informed by the market is also helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, technology plays a big role in how we design and how we find solutions. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'd love I'd love to hear your perspective on, you know, this part-time versus full-time employee debate. What's 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 your thinking? Yeah. So it's not necessarily part-time with such full-time. It's made it's more like contract work that's mm. temporary based rather than this is a this is a, this is I think probably the most common question I get from young designers when I talk to them is, is exactly this. That I have some contract work I can get started with for, for five months, four months, three months. You know, What do you think? Should I do it? I don't want to do it. It doesn't seem stable. It seems like I, it's not a good opportunity because then I have to go find another job, you know, and, and isn't it better if I find just this cushy, nice job with good pay at some agency and just work there for years? And my immediate answer as a young designer was, yes, of course, find that good job and sit back and enjoy, you know, but I I didn't do that as a young designer a lot. I did a lot of contract work because I was I was doing a lot of freelance work to support myself to put to to pay for my school. So I kind of became really familiar with that type of work. It's just like do a little bit of work, get some money and, and kind of evaluate how much more money you have, how many more projects you need just so you can support yourself for a little bit longer, you know? 
So I kind of learned to do that and it became very actually effective as I graduated and I had to find something. I did a lot of freelance work during and did some contract work that helped me get exposure. I became exposed to different types of projects, different types of leadership and management skills and different types of teams that different companies had built. I worked at companies that people had been working together for 20 years and they wanted to kill each other because there's just they looked like this old family of people with hostility. And I worked at agencies that they were all new and fresh and good to go and ready for new challenges and new ideas. And there was no hostility at all. And it was all about the design work. And it was good to see that. It was good to be a part of all of that because I learned a lot doing that from switching every few months from one company to another. And it helped me actually understand what I like to do. Let's forget about the leadership skills and, and, and all of those things. Just in terms of design and what area of design I wanted to pay attention to, that's when I learned that UX is my thing. That's when I realized that user experience is something that I'm genuinely interested about. And I'll never get tired of it. And I still up to today, like I, I just, I go crazy thinking, I found a solution for this. I think this is the best way of doing this. You know, I'm constantly thinking, analyzing things and thinking that way. And and because I think it all it was all because I exposed myself to every type of work that was out there to really kind of challenge myself and everything, things that I hated to do things that I, environments that I wasn't necessarily happy to be a part of, but I found ways to get through all of them. And it made me a stronger person as a result. And don't get me wrong. I had full-time jobs as well. There were, there were companies that I really liked and I, and I decided to work with them for a long time. And, but that was after I had kind of found this, this path for myself to really know how to manage all these things. And I think that definitely has helped me as a director now that I do a lot of context switching throughout the day between one project to another and different type of people that need different things. I think a lot of that skill set has been really being built in me since since I started doing that. So switching around and doing all these things. Meanwhile, I could just sit at one agency and work there for years and like not be too exposed to other ways of people working together or building things or designing things. But I got to work with a lot of good designers and agencies and a lot of good mentors who helped me be here today. And that's why I'm trying to pay things forward as well. But I am I would say exposure, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. Because if you sit somewhere, work somewhere, always, that's comfort zone, right? You get comfortable, you know your day-to-day, you know what to expect. You know, everybody knows what to expect. You're not really pushing yourself. So I would love to know what you think about this, because I know you have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you know, you, you said something that I never even thought of attributing this credit I've I've always had, you know, for for a long time, even out of college, I, I had a full time job, but outside of that, I always had side gigs. I took on project work. You know, I, I let's let's just say I was industrious, so I was always taking projects that I could do evenings. You know, small business websites. You know, I don't remember all the small. You know, like I think a friend of mine, she she was a singer, and I made a small html website for her i put it on a cms charge you know a few hundred bucks you know at some point 
one of the clients, you know, my side gig stuff was like Chichen Chong did a small website for them. That was kind of cool. <laughs> did a website sponsored by Axe, you know, the the men's, you know, product. But I've always, you get variety that way. You get to do so, you know, kind of maybe in your role, like, and this was at a time when I was mostly known as an engineer. You're an engineer, you just write code. That's all you, you know, yeah, you have an engineering degree, write code. That's what you're good at. But yeah. I wanted to explore what design was like. And, and I wasn't going to be able to do that in the context of my full-time job. So, I, you know, I started learning design and I was able to exercise that muscle to see if I liked doing design. And that's right. how I found my passion was through through these things. So if it weren't for these practicing, I, I wouldn't have been able to explore that side of me. And, you know, and then life would have been very different. Yeah, I see. All connected. Yeah. And then you said something, too, that, you know, you with contracting, you learn all this context switching that when you're a director or a leader or in sales, like, I feel like that's all you do is your whole day is context switching. You have yeah. one-on-ones, you have an internal planning meeting, you have an HR meeting, next call is clients that, you know, like on and on and on every, every half hour, every hour is context switching. Yeah. And I, you know, it's individuals who have very specialized roles really struggle with that. Once they get promoted to a director and now they have to manage people They have to plan projects. They have to do, you know, there's a lot of context switching. And I never really, it's like, it's like, why, why is this a struggle? I never understood like, but I think, you know, from my years of contracting, hey, there's this full-time job, there's this contract, there's that contract that I was used to the context switching. And I never really tied together that, hey, I, maybe I developed this muscle and other people didn't really develop their muscle, this muscle. You have, but, I promise you that you have. That's yeah. So exactly. So that's, that's something. And, and to your point too, like, if you don't know what you like yet, I think that's what contracting allows you to do is explore. Absolutely. hundred percent, hundred percent. And you, you, there, there are times like I've had designers who decided to, that design wasn't for them after doing this for a little bit of time, you know? I had designer friends who graduated with the design in the design program with me, but now they're doing other things that have nothing to do with design. And that's because they, they did expose themselves to all these things. And in a short period of time to really see whether, whether this is really for them or not, you know? And I mean, that's a little bit of an extreme version of it that people completely get out of design, but it definitely helps to learn more about yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we've done, We've explored internships. You know, I can tell you, we've we've hired people who they were exploring whether they like programming or software engineering, and we've hired right. them, and they've explored. and And some people have become, you know, kind of doubled down, and they like this. But we've also had people where, like, yeah, I don't think I like sitting in front of a computer and just writing code all day long. Like, like, yeah. okay, the career sounded like it was interesting. The client sounded interesting, and the Money's definitely like sounded interesting. Like reality is like, yeah, writing code all day long kind of sucks. Like, yeah. kind of like, yeah, I don't think this is for me. So we've even had people come through that had had that realization. It's true. So internships are great. Contracting is great for exploring. So you you mentor at ADP. How how else can folks get in touch with you? 
Yeah, ADP. You can find me there, adplist.org. I am there. I've reduced my hours just for the summer because I'm going to be a little bit out and about, but I'm, I'm still meeting people, you know, a few times a week. I really, really enjoy it. It definitely gives me so much energy knowing that I could... I could at least help someone think differently about a problem that they're having, whether it's at their work or they're, they're trying to find a job or they're at school or they're, or even specifically just looking at a project, you know, just giving them design advice. And I think it's just, it's just something that I, I found that's very, very helpful to me too, because I get a lot of good, good energy out of doing that. I, I feel so much better after every call and it's just such a good thing. And we were talking about this, like, how you started your podcast. And that's one of the reasons you wanted to do it because you want to connect with people, especially during the pandemic and started to kind of reach out to your network. So I think we kind of did something similar, but uh, mine is a little different. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm on ADP as well. I mean, yeah. Is there anything we can do in terms of helping your role and needs at First Republic? We're hiring for quite a number of roles. We have a lot of design positions open, we have design researcher, the researcher that we're looking for. We have director of product design that we're looking for on the corporate side. Yeah, just building a team. You know, we're, yeah. we're building this really cool team in, inside our bank. And just the method of really having fun and actually building something really cool. And that's what we're doing. So yeah, if you want to reach out, if you know anyone or if you're interested <laughs> yourself, I know, Peck, you're, you're probably busy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, the the audience, yeah, this is what would be for the audience and, yeah. and uh, whoever's listening. We have a job board on the What Is UX website, uh, so we'll we'll post that a link to that to to oh, to cool. your job board. Cool, and, thanks. Uh, yeah, and you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or ADP. I'm happy to connect. I'm always connecting. Uh, I'm very active in the design industry. I do design talks to graduating students. My previous program and kind of stay connected with a lot of them, and a lot of them reach out to me with just advice about getting a new job or interview, you know, mocking interview and just kind of going through anything that they're, they're dealing with, you know, so, and I'm happy to do that. Great. Thank you so much, Nima. It's a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show. Absolutely. Peck. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. And, and I hope that we, we stay in touch. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on this episode of what is UX. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you leave us a review, I'll make sure to shout it out on the show. If you have any questions, send them to questions at whatisux.co and our guest and I will try to answer them on the show. And you can always find us on whatisux.co. See you on the next one.